As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. Hello and welcome to From the Rookery End, a podcast about Watford Football Club brought to you by The Athletic. Uh, my name is John uh, and in this podcast I'm going to be joined by Mike and by Adam um, and we're going to talk about Watford's 2-0 home win against Wickham Wanderers. But we'll talk about that in a little bit because we thought we need to start this podcast talking uh, about a very special person who was part of the Watford family who we lost this week. We had the unfortunate news uh, on Sunday afternoon uh, that ex-Watford player and manager uh, Glenn Roder passed away. Uh, he came to the club in 1989 uh, as a player, played for two years, came back to the club uh, in 1993 for about two and a half seasons as, as manager. Mike, that time as, as a Watford fan was sort of one of my favourites. My memory of Glenn Roder is walking into a Junior Hornets meeting in the Junior Hornets family room that Anne Swanson got built uh, and, and walking on the outside of his feet. He remember talking to us about him walking on the outside of his feet uh, in this little Q&A and he was you know, this lovely warm player. As a player uh, and even as a manager I do link him to that era more than, than any other player. Yeah, I mean, I link him, I have to say, I link him to Newcastle United. I remember when Watford signed him. And if even today I picture either Glenn Roder in the, in the Herald and Post Watford kit or the, or in Newcastle, the black and white stripes of Newcastle. And, and since his, his, his sad death, I didn't quite realise just how amazing his career was at QPR and just what high regard he was held in as a, as a defender. Really, really, you know, some player and, and, and sort of right at the sort of forefront of, of QPR and their, and their tactical challenge change in, in football and at the vanguard, if you like, of, of the change in football at that time. But yeah, I think you mentioned it there, John, in t- certainly his, his managerial career at Watford. I too equate that with some really fun times, which is bizarre because Watford were pretty naff really for the <laughs> most part during that time. And you look at the, you know, you go back and remembering those years and remember, you know, Vicarage Road was about a third full most of the time. I think the average attendance sort of bobbed around 8,000 
you know, during the, the the course of Glenn Roder's managerial career. And it's worth just taking a moment to think now, isn't it? When you think about Vicarage Road, 20,000, you know, 18, 19, 20,000 there almost week in, week out. Back then, 8,000. 8, and Watford were really, really struggling. You know, he came in, you know, 93, 94, wasn't it? And almost we got relegated. But that was that incredible season. We spoke in the last podcast about those amazing away games and the, the game at Peterborough came up really often. That was, of course, that season. The Barnsley Odyssey, my Oakwell Odyssey, when I uh, nipped off, uh, bunked off school and I went to Barnsley, that was uh, that, that first year in in, uh, in Glen Roder's season. And, you know, ultimately we won six games out of the last 10 to, to stay up, culminating, and this is one I'll always remember, in uh, we were away at Crystal Palace on the last game of the season. They they were champions. TV were there, and it was supposed to be a sort of crowning glory of Crystal Palace winning the winning the league. And Watford went there and won two nil. Um, we were saved. So that was that was a fond memory. Next year, we. Um, had a much better season. We spearheaded largely, I think. He signed Kevin Phillips, of course. He brought him in for £10,000 from... Um, it was Bulldog, wasn't it? So he he picked up uh, Kevin Phillips. So that tells you something about his acumen and eye for a, eye for a player. Um, and we nearly, nearly um, having just escaped um, relegation the year before, nearly qualified for the playoffs. I think we were probably favourites to, to go down and nearly confounded the bookies and and made a bid for uh, for the top end of the table, but uh, fell a little bit short in the end. And then the next season, it was a complete disaster, wasn't it? We were we were rock bottom when he finally got the tin tack in in February. So, you know, in in his small in his brief Watford tenure, we kind of saw everything that it's like to be a Watford fan, didn't we? Sort of skirting with with unexpected uh, success, avoiding relegation by the skin of our teeth, some of the most memorable away games that we've spoken about in recent weeks. And, of course, his departure resulted in the uh, return of GT. So, yeah, some really fond memories about him. And, and I think you, what you mentioned there, John, you meant, I think you used the word warm and, and friendly. And just you could just see the outpouring of um, very quite emotional tributes from a lot of the great and good in in footballing circles and other you know from all the club Chris Waddle and just loads of people that anyone that came into contact with Glen Road had nothing but good things to say about him so football aside he was evidently just a, a genuinely nice man and yeah you can't help but you, you know you feel for the, the the family and all all his friends and I guess it's nice when when something like this happens that there is such an incredible career to to look back on and I'm sure his his family and friends and colleagues are, are incredibly proud of what he achieved uh, including that that spell at Watford those two spells as a player and a and a manager. It's interesting Mike you mentioned his his family because the thing that really sort of brought brought the whole sort of sadness home to me was whilst I was doing that piece about Will Hughes and we touched upon the the team that Will Hughes was playing for uh, when he was at Repton School in that final in the under 15s and all that sort of stuff Joe Roder who's Glenn's son actually featured in that game you almost strip away all the football you strip mm. away all the managerial highs and lows and all that sort of stuff and you just think about his family and and our condolences go out to to all of them in terms of looking at his time at Watford, just whilst you were talking there, Mike, I'm in my office at home and I pulled out my scrapbook from the old days when I used to sort of cut out articles from all sorts of newspapers and sort of 
pin them into my scrapbook. And I've got this image here in front of me, August 1993, the big kickoff, a supplement to the Watford Observer. I'd cut this out. It's got, you know, Paul Furlong, David Holdsworth. Paul Furlong, one of my favourite players. I just, I loved him. And and he's standing there in his, in that brilliant kit with the black shoulders and the Hummel design and all that sort of stuff. Glenn in the middle, Kenny Jacket alongside him, Nigel Gibbs, Gary Porter. These are the players that are sort of inbuilt in my soul. You know, these are the these are the the core of my football supporting um, body. And and it's interesting. It says here, Glenn Roder, long body, as he was mm-hmm. known to fans as uh, as a player, uh, together with Kenny Jacket, has taken the Hornets back to their roots, uh, both by association and in practice. The Watford Old Boys have brought back width and wing play, discipline and defensive determination. Yes, it wasn't a, a, a glorious time. We weren't sort of going up into the top division. We had our struggles. It was quite ordinary. But I just think maybe that's that was the, the great thing about Glenn Roder. He was, he was quite a, a, a normal chap. And that was that was what was great about him. And, and you, th- you know, you mentioned about his time at Newcastle and obviously previously at QPR as well. But I always remember also having a book around this time. I think I've still got it somewhere based on Gaza. And he was, you know, he was Gaza's minder. He was the guy that looked out for him. And I think that that's what comes comes across with all these tributes that we've heard, that he looked out for people. He was always there for people, even if, even if they were sort of moved on in their careers. He touched a lot of people's careers and he was always there for advice. And I just think that that's the... That's such a lovely thing to hear about someone because, you know, you have that saying of, you know, always be nice to people on your way up and all that sort of stuff. And he clearly was someone that cared and was, you know, a solid down the line, you know, straight as a die sort of bloke. It would give you critical analysis, but also give you comfort in your in your difficult times as well. Just thinking about it now and talking about that period and it was a different and simpler time and it's, it's sometimes perhaps more enjoyable for it because there was no expectation around Watford mm. at that time apart from staying in the championship and and of course I think it does us all good just to pause and, and reflect about that time because he, Glenn Roder walked into a club that was not in grave difficulty, but certainly up against it financially. It was during the, the, the Jack Petchy era where money was increasingly tight, wasn't it? And, you know, you mentioned there um, Paul Furlong, had, you know, one of our favourite players, certainly of that era. I think in his first year he, under Glen Rode, I think he scored 17, 18 goals, something like that, but mm. was then moved on, of course, because um, that was that was what happened at the, in those days. If anyone was decent, they were, they were sold. And I think, to be fair, the Paul Furlong money was used to... So it funded one of a new stand at, at Watford and that's what Glenn Roder walked into and the fact that he was able to get Watford in his first season safe against that backdrop and then shorn of, of someone like Paul Furlong in the following year you know get them within a whisker of the, the playoffs is, is, a, is a real measure of the man I suspect and he will always be sort of attributed to that era only it wasn't the best time for Watford but fond memories attached to Glenn Roder and uh, yeah really 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 sad news it was under his tenure and I've got the article here in front of me it was just opposite in my scrapbook this is absolutely brilliant the, the sellotape has lasted really well by the way um, you know that game one of my favourite games of all time at Watford Watford 4 Bolton Wanderers 3 of course with that yeah. Gary Porter hat trick was under was under Glenn Roder and the opening paragraph of um, Oliver Phillips's 
big match report is Glenn Roder's aim to re-establish Vicarage Road as a venue opponent's fear gained a totally unexpected boost as Watford staged the most remarkable comeback in one game of their 112-year history. You can look back at, yeah, did he win trophies? Did he win promotions? Da-da-da-da-da. It's the moments that you remember, the feelings that you felt at the time, you know, be it the the Deeney goal or, you know, the Liverpool win or whatever. That's one of my moments. And that was under Glenn Roder. So, you know, I will always I will always cherish that and I'll always associate it with with him and that team and those people and those times. So, yeah, happy memories. From the Rookery End, a podcast about life following Watford FC. So, Mike, it was uh, another home win. Uh, I think, I think statistically, I'm right in saying that's 15 points out of the last 18 uh, that we, we've taken in, in this championship season. It was against a bottom-of-the-table Wickham side. First time they've been in this division. But for me, this whole game was about an opportunity. It was an opportunity for Watford, uh, but it was an opportunity for some particular players. And one man, ah, oh, at last we can say this, Mr. Uh, Mr. Andre Gray, took his opportunity. Two goals. Which was your favourite? Well, it was also an opportunity for Watford to, to wash Saturday out of their mouths, the bad taste that was left uh, after that game. And I can tell you, I'm, st- I'm sat in Vicarage Road now, the final whistle's just gone, and it is a lot quieter, John, than it was uh, after after the full-time whistle at the Vitality. I can assure you of that. So Watford have taken the uh, the chance to, the opportunity to wash that nasty taste of that out of their mouth. And yeah, Andre Gray, the man on the spot with Watford's two goals. And I think, John, I'd, I'd have to say his first was my favourite, simply because it got that monkey off his back. It was, you know, it's been a long time coming. He's been absolutely desperate to score it. We've been desperate for him to, to score it. And, you know, as we've seen, Jao Pedro is missing tonight. So it's, it, we need a replacement and we need a replacement that is firing and confident. And for him to get that goal relatively early in the first half, to finish it with no problems, he did check straight away very yeah, he did. He did. Yeah. for offside. It was like, oh, <laughs> please don't take this away from me. But it was just, it was a sense of relief on on two levels. One, we'd broken down what we knew was going to be a very resolute Wickham Wanderers side. But yeah, just to get that, you know, that millstone from round his neck. So really, really pleased to see uh, Andre Gray Andre slot that goal home. And it was it was nicely worked. We, we got in, uh, found some space down the right-hand side, ball in, uh, back of the net. And, they, you know, we've we said it before, it doesn't have to be rocket science in this division. Often, if you get the ball wide to, to the wing players we've got, you can beat the defence that you'll be up against get the ball in the box and then there's a question to be asked and thrilled with that first goal great that he was uh, great was he was able to capitalise and get a second in the second half too which was a, a really nice goal yeah we were expecting a, a game where we would have to pass the ball quickly get in behind quickly uh, to break down uh, the well 15 man uh, wall they, wherever they had in the, the Wickham defence at times um, and you know that, that cross from Kiko was absolutely inch perfect uh, and Andre just you know we always often talk about Andre Gray not having a first touch but I don't think it was even time to think uh, about it where he, he just slotted straight past the goalkeeper I think the second goal was my favourite I think mainly because it leads on to the other person who had a big opportunity today that goal really showed the quality of Watford it showed the quality particularly in the build up to that get that goal from Saar his control and then it was the it was the the, the run 
and the and the beautifully weighted pass through from Philip Zinkenagel, who was on his first league debut for Watford. But I think what I liked about that bit in particular, one, it was a lovely pass through, and it got Andre his second goal, and the, the one that really calmed the nerves a little bit. But it was the fact that you, the feeling I, w- I, I didn't want to have from Philip was this is his opportunity. This was where he had to show off. Was he going to try too hard? Was he going to, like, snatch at everything? And he didn't. And particularly in that moment, you could tell... Well, it seemed like he was, he was trying to find the shot to get the goal. Absolutely fine. But when he didn't, he made the right choice and he put Andre through. And that, I think, is, is Philip Zinkenagel's performance all over. He did the things that were right. He didn't necessarily shine like a bright star, yeah. but he did everything right that you sort of want for him after what we've seen in his development as a player in the championship. Yeah. I agree, and I think ultimately the bottom line is he came up with the second, the, the assist for the second goal, which was the match winner. That put the game completely to bed. A few hairy moments towards the end, sort of, but really it's not like the last up. couple of games. No, absolutely not. And uh, two 0 up, that the, the game was done and dusted there. So in that regard, when the when he really had to deliver, he absolutely did, like you said, John. It, it was an absolutely lovely ball through, as you as you so rightly said, perfectly weighted, perfectly picked. Um, and Andre Gray, you know, as a striker, any striker probably is going to finish that. So when he was asked to do what he absolutely had to do, he delivered. I think overall, I was thinking before the game that this is a really good opportunity for, for Zinkenagel, as, as you just said there. The reason being that this was, we're going to make it narrow, sit fairly deep. There's going to be plenty of space to operate in. And I thought, well, this is an opportunity for Zinkenagel to sort of grow into the game and sort of impose himself on it. Because I think when his, his previous camp He's come on at points in the game where the opposition have been really trying to get into the game, trying to force the issue, really scrapping in a higher quality opposition with all due respect to Wickham. And I just thought, oh, right, OK, so he's going to find pockets of space. He's going to sort of have people around him who are quick and good good, good movement. They know how to play the game and how to, to move a player and find some space. So I thought it was a real opportunity for him to... You were right, you were right John, at the start of this podcast to say we're going to talk about opportunities because I think I've said opportunity around how many points have Watford got? 63? <laughs> About 63 times. I didn't think he imposed himself on the game as much as he probably would have liked. He gets left behind a little bit. There are a couple of sort of fouls here and there where he's scrapping to get the ball back and, you know, that's admirable in some respects. But I don't know. He just feels for me, there's obviously a player there. Quick yeah, feet, skillful, knows how to pass a ball, and you know his stats at Bodo Glimt speak for themselves. He he, he scored a load and, and assisted a load. But yeah, also but you're not you to... you're not telling me, Mike, that you expected him to pull up trees and to have a game controlling performance because we you know we did have those expectations of him by seeing all those stats from Norway, but he hasn't shown that yet. And I think what I really wanted him to get from this game was the fact that he started this game, and it was about that sort of game management from him and how he he managed himself through the whole game because he did play the whole 90 minutes and I suppose that's the thing I was more impressed with he made things happen and he, he was causing you know a few extra balls going into the into the box to cause issues for the defence you know that was that that felt to me like you say maybe I'm looking at it in terms of not that is he is he is he great but I'm looking at it in terms of 
it was a really good step in his progress. Absolutely, yeah, for him to get 90 minutes under his belt, because that is a, a big part of his progression towards being a, a more integrated first-team starter, is to get more minutes on the pitch, because I think you're right to say that we wouldn't expect him to come in and have the, the impact that he had previously, because it's, it's not going to happen. He was playing in a team that was used to having 80% of possession virtually week in, week out, as they absolutely bossed the, bossed the league. That was never going to happen here. The Championship is hasten, Jason, it's quick, it's blood and thunder we knew that he's not going to have that sort of impact straight away it's just it's virtually impossible but I would just would have liked to see a little bit more from him but you're you're absolutely right I think for him to get 90 minutes under his belt in much the same way that Andre Gray will take confidence from his goal scoring performance Phillips and Ganaga will will take take confidence from the fact he's now played 90 minutes um, in the championship in a winning championship performance he's assisted the goal he like you say showed some really really nice touches and you know we are going to have to rely on players more and more and more as the season goes on whether there's yellow cards and suspensions or whether there's injuries it looks like we've picked up one with Tom Cleverley tonight we're not sure how bad that's going to be we'll have to wait and see the positive you take from it outweighs sort of my vague disappointment by by quite some margin vague vague disappointment you find the disappointment <laughs> wherever you go sir um, yeah I mean the, the other one we talk about, we talk about him quite a lot later on the podcast with Adam because he's written a piece on him recently William Troost Ikong came into the the, the the defence with Sierra Alta, that sort of, for me, felt like they were just, a, both of them were a little bit more comfortable. Um, that's their better buddy that they can have in in, in centre-back. And of course, they, unfortunately, they did have Uche Ipezu, you know, former Watford player for a little bit what of time. What a unit. He was. What a unit is. He did cause them a different sort of um, challenge. Uh, and did sort of keep them entertained a little bit longer than than some of the other strikers, in a, in a not a nippy nippy way that a lot of the strikers have been in the, in the last couple of weeks. Yeah, and I think Sierra in particular enjoyed that physical battle. There was um, it was ongoing throughout. Really, Paisley really did look like a, a big strapping lad, and yeah, he was. Uh, yeah, I was quite surprised. I didn't remember him. I know he never really played for for Watford, but I didn't really remember him being being that that big. And yeah, it was a different challenge. You have to say that um, they did their job, didn't they? Because Backman didn't really have a save to make, did he? Throughout the throughout the piece, it was a fairly comfortable win. It's not one that I don't think many people will be. Watching, uh, rushing to watch the the 90 minute replay of, but I think that speaks to how professional Watford were in, in getting this job done. For in, in in the first half in particular, it was a very very slow start. I thought Watford took time to warm to their task. There was a lot of possession without much penetration. But as the as the half wore on, they really did look like it's you know often in the Championship the gulf between sides that are pushing for promotion and and are in a relegation battle isn't that obvious. I thought at times today. Watford really looked like, you know, at one stage the floodgates could could open a bit if they did get a second in the in the in the first half. They they were were superior all over the pitch really, without ever really able to to sort of stretch their legs and disappear into the distance with a three four five niller. But got to start from the back in terms of performance. You have to be solid uh, in that respect if you're going to win a game of football. It's another clean sheet for back and another clean sheet for this central defensive pairing. And I thought um, William Trustikong after you know a, a couple of of ropey, not ropey, but but not, not as impressive as his earlier performances, shall we say. That will have done him the power of good as well today. And, you know, another great performance from, from Kiko Firmenia on the on the right-hand side. You know, every inch the Premier League player. Yes, as but always. he is disappointing me, Michael. <laughs> Annoying me quite heavily. What oh. on earth 
is he doing with the holes in his socks? Oh, John, come on. I don't care. It. I don't care about these things. This day. You've got to dress properly. Black boots. Tuck your shirt in. <laughs> if Messina can do it, you can all do it. And make sure you don't put holes in your socks. It looks like rats have been around you, young man. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, had to go there. Just like, think, what are you doing? <laughs> I think it's quite a common thing, actually. Um, well, it shouldn't Mr. be. Mooney. It shouldn't um, be. Like the pink you boots, what are they about? You mentioned Messina there. I think a few questions about Adam Messina at left-back. Of all the players to take confidence out of tonight, whether he will be one that will really sort of sleep soundly with a, with a job well done. I thought he looked slightly questionable. We've said that for a couple of weeks now. He's not... You know, is he back to his full fitness and f- everything? He, I don't think he he necessarily is. So I don't think I was. It was an extraordinary bad, or uh, you know, had had his moments. He's he's always had those moments since he's come back from injury, and he isn't just a hundred percent happy. I don't know if it's the physicality of some of it. I don't know if it's the speed of some of it. But he, he, but again, he, he sort of does things in the. He's not rash. He's not doing things stupidly. He's sort of I don't know. I don't want to use the word professional in what he does, but he's doing what he can as best he can it seems you know hopefully he can do better but it, it, it seems to be that way I mean I don't want to pick apart the game and all the performances you know th- th- we've got enough uh, some brilliant content on the way and some a wonderful interview um, so we just want to we, we talk about the, the whole team on, on the podcast on, on the weekend once we've taken on uh, Nottingham Forest but overall you know Mike it, it was it, like I say a, a, a professional doing what we need to do uh, and our heads didn't go uh, or get and basically, I'm not sat here uh, and having had a absolutely nail-biting final ten minutes, so I'm happy. It's been a while from, since that happened. Yeah, I was pleasantly surprised actually, John, when I looked up at the clock and saw there was only a couple of minutes left, and I thought, yeah. Watford have done exactly what we wanted them to do, which is get through a game. They had to win. Let's make no mistake about it. If Watford are going to be serious about being in the in the top two, these are the games they have to win. There is no room for, for mistakes or slip-ups in these sort of fixtures. Get through it with as, as few scares as possible. Mention the injury to Tom Cleverley. That could be a bit of, uh, we'll just have to wait and see there. But, you know, in terms of the actual football, um, I thought from front to back in the main, it was a the absolute professional performance. And... Uh, and to say they coasted through it would be would be unfair on yeah. on Wickham because they did they did provide a challenge, um, but Watford's I think quality everywhere showed and and they were able to get through the game without too many scares, which like you say, John, doesn't happen too often with Watford, does it? This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds's small town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX's Welcome to Wrexham premieres May 2nd on FX. Stream on Hulu. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. From the rookery end. The rest is podcast. We recorded with Adam. Talked through some of his writing. He's done The Athletic uh, recently. And here's what we recorded, Mike and I did, uh, yesterday with Adam. 
Adam, your writing of the last couple of weeks on the uh, Athletic, you've got to get the, the, in the depths of a current Watford player and uh, got a caught up with uh, one that's just left us not that long ago. The catch-up was with uh, Gerard Delefeu, Jerry D, uh, as we like to call him, uh, <laughs> over there in Udinese. Uh, how, how did that come about? How, how is the old Jerry? The interview came about because I, I was thinking about the anniversary of the, of the Liverpool win I wanted to catch up with Gerard just to talk about how his year has been. I got in touch and, you know, thankfully he put aside some some time to speak to us. And I wasn't sure whether the interview was actually going to happen because he picked up another injury. And I wasn't completely sure if it was a different injury to his, you know, the obvious knee injury that he picked up against Liverpool because he'd had some other issues recently. I think he damaged his foot and, and things like that. But kindly, he gave us some time. And we were able to just get a bit of insight into what this year has been like for him and some of the sort of subplots to his time at Watford as well. I mean, you know, I I didn't have a huge amount of time with him, but thankfully what he did say I found really interesting. And he was able to also, you know, give us an insight not only into his his injury and this year, but also just to some of the subplots of his of his time at the club. Yeah, let's hear some of that interview that Adam did uh, with Gerard. And Adam started by asking him about the effect his injury against Liverpool had on his life. This moment, I think I will never forget this this moment because it was a, a tough moment uh, for for me and my family. Not just the moment; it's like also your your future because. There is a lot of work behind this injury. Um, now, right now, I feel good. I feel good, but I'm still with problems because my injury, it wasn't like just a, an, an ACL. It was uh, an ACL plus two meniscus. So more difficult to, to recover. And, and normal, I, I'm working really hard in this year, but still have some problems. It's, it's the process and I can understand that. Uh, just uh, have to be patient, to wait and to take my moment and, and disappear these these problems. Psychologically, how how testing has it been for you? With, with this type of of injuries, uh, the most important thing is the the mental one because it's time. You, you have to be patient. Time you have to also enjoying recovering because if you if you wake up every day and and you you doesn't enjoy it's gonna be tough because it's it's a long injury. I did uh, an amazing uh, recovery, and you know when you finish your recovery and you go back to the pitch, it's not finished. You have to still working more. And yes, uh, for me the the mental thing was was really important. I would have thought it will probably pop up over the next few days and things like that seeing the seeing the moment and seeing the the knee go and all that sort of stuff do you have memories of it on the pitch or have you blanked that out so usually i, I i'm not i'm not thinking about my this action but yeah. i feel you know some sometimes i feel i'm playing really good so this game i start my first 30 minutes was really really good really power and after it's live it happens and my mental now, my mind is in my in my present here in in Udinese and I'm working here to to achieve our objectives. From the point of view of your career path, it, it seemed, and you mentioned it before, when you were you know in that Liverpool game. I know there'd been a bit of a dip in form for the whole team before that, but it was such an incredible performance. From you, your performances last season were 
were one of the best things about the season. By the end of that season, your next step was going to be a big step. So it, the, the injury came at a very cruel time for you, didn't it? Maybe. We don't know because uh, it happens, uh, the injury, but my, my last season in Watford was was really good. My power, uh, my physique, uh, mm. how many goals uh, I, I was scored there. Um, it was really tough because the team in that period in the Liverpool game was really good. And seriously, I, I think... Uh, is the injury doesn't come maybe Watford right now is still in the Premier League because the team was really good and my connection with my teammates was was incredible how difficult was it for you to to be dealing with the injury but also knowing that you could have been there and you could have been helping my first two three months of the of the injury was more easy because the football stopped completely yeah. in, in, all, in all the world. But after uh, when the football starts, well, was was terrible. So seeing my teammates uh, playing, suffering for the games, uh, for the situation, I can't help my, my team was, was tough. I've spoken to quite a few people about why it went wrong for, for Watford last, last season and why it ended up being a, a relegation. What do you put it down to? We start really bad. The first 10, 15 games wasn't good enough for Watford, for a player to play for Watford. In football, if you doesn't feel the, the scare of, of the relegation, maybe some some teams, you know, is relaxed, mental relaxed. And after when you, when you feel like, oh, we are here, we are near to the relegation, you wake up. That's what it happens, I think. We do some meetings, we start to see out. Oh, we are on January, February and we stay there in, in the relegation. And after we woke up and we start to play good, to change things. That's the mental of the players. Some players work hard, win every, every single match and some players uh, like relax, relax mental. And and from from the point of view of the you know how how the club tried to cause a, a bit of a you know a scare or or a jolt as they would call it they changed the manager obviously after Javi then Kike and then Nigel did you think that Javi maybe went too soon that happens you know I, I can say something about that because Javi doesn't stay and Javi was was gone I, I can say you my two years with Javi was an, an amazing two years for for us. And after the, the decision of the, of changing coaches is in the hands of Gino. We can give the problems just to the coaches because I think the big problem was in in this in this season was the was the players. It's different. A lot of coaches. Uh, I'm, you know, I'm agree of that. But the, the big problem was the mental of the of the players. In terms of your your Watford highlights, I would say what sticks out for you. What are the moments that you hold dear to your heart? Oh, there is a lot of moments. It's, you know, I played, I think, 70 games. One of the my best periods in, in my career. And I can choose a lot of moments like my hat-trick, uh, my two goals in the semi-final, goals against Chelsea and against Man City. The most important one was playing a final against against Man City. You know, they, they beat us really easy but you know for Watford for a Watford player and for a Watford town playing this this type of game was was an amazing the pre-game amazing memories for for Watford fans part of the athletic podcast network this is from the rookery end absolutely fascinating to to hear from him there he struck me as one of the players that we didn't really hear from 
directly much during his time at Watford. So I thought it was really interesting to hear him speak. Really, really interesting, wasn't it? Just to hear about his life. I was fascinated to hear about his rehab and it just it gives you a little jolt sometimes hearing from these guys. And, you, you know, you talk about Gerard Delefeo and you think about him as as one of the sort of best players to play for Watford, you know, former Barcelona player, real skillful, a real sort of almost on a bit of a pedestal. And, and, and you think of them in those terms, but then you forget that they're people. And him mentioning that his rehab was a lot easier when football was paused, for example, and you think, ah, of course it will have been, won't it? And it's just an insight into... You know, we all had all our struggles while while lockdown was going on and, and continues. But I think sometimes we're guilty of forgetting what life's like for those guys during during these issues as well. So just hearing bits and bobs like that was was really really interesting. And just yeah, just how that what that comeback must have been like. And then of course, you know, we couldn't shy away, could we, from from last season and 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 how disappointing that was. And I thought it was fascinating. And there was two two sides to it, wasn't there? Because he. He didn't blame the coaches. You know, it is impossible to talk to players and not mention the, the turnover, especially in our last season when it went from Javi to Kike, then to, to Nigel Pearson, and then we lost him as well. And he he wasn't drawn on that, was he, Adam? He refused to he refused to sort of condemn, if you like, the um, the turnover of coaches and said ultimately it's down to us as players. Probably wise, seeing as he's still at uh, Posso owned Udinese, so he knows mm. which side is his bread's buttered. But also on the flip side of that. He was it. What's the phrase he he used? He didn't have the fear, the scare of relegation. Yeah, and, and whether he meant that at the start of the season, and whether he was sort of suggesting they're a little bit complacent, and even though the start of the season was poor, they felt that you know they looked around the dressing room, and probably they felt like they were good enough or had the quality to get themselves out of it at some stage. So it was really interesting that on one hand he was like, look, we were the players, we were the ones that crossed the white line, we were the ones that should have taken responsibility. On the other hand, he was also sort of almost fessing up to saying, look, we felt we were we were good enough. We didn't feel the sort of cold hand of relegation, possibly until it was too late. You know, the C word that you mentioned there is, is obviously key, complacency. I think that that's what came across from what he was saying. It's unclear whether he was sort of separating out the, the dressing room from those who were sort of sleepwalking a little bit too much and then others who were trying to to rally the troops. It's difficult to sort of get the breakdown because I guess some players could have been maybe a little bit complacent at, at the beginning, thinking, no, 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 we're, we're too good, we'll get players back or or we'll, we'll slip into gear. And then maybe some others who were, <laughs> were like that all the way through. Or it's sort of, it's an interesting one, isn't it? When you've got the makeup of a of a dressing room who only know Watford as being a Premier League team who've, you know, come in. No, there's a you know, massive turnover. It's only really Troy and maybe uh, Aurelio Gomez who were in the dressing room all the way through. Maybe A.D. Mariapa is being aware of, of the past of Watford. But a lot of those players only knew Watford as a, as a top flight team. So I suppose you've also got to change the mindset of, of people who will think, well, no, 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 we're not going to go down. So it just shows how difficult it is, doesn't it? Overall, he wanted to be diplomatic, but he also knew overall that, yeah, the players should have... They it up. (laughs) Yeah, they ballsed it up and they got it it wrong, you know, hook or by crook. And yes, it might have been contributed by the, you know, the transition of head coaches. But at the end of the day, just to coin a, a good footballing phrase, they let the side down. And, you know, they could have they could have changed the dynamic, I suppose. The other thing I thought was really interesting was that he he was very deftly 
didn't sidestep it, but he was sort of. Uh, you alluded to the fact that he 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 probably would have wanted to move on from Watford after after last season, and I think if last season had been successful, you know we would all have assumed that he would have gone on to in inverted commas a bigger club, whether it's in this country or abroad. And it got me thinking really that he he's almost the poster boy for not your Richardson, not your João Pedro, someone you bring in that is, who's unheard of and then sell him on for a big profit. But someone that comes, a, a Pozzo style Marlon King, if you like, someone who might have lost their way a little bit, but is, is, is coming to Watford to get themselves back on track. And, you know, Gerard Delafeu would never be at Watford if his career had gone the way that Gerard Delafeu wanted it to, would he? That fine line between getting players like that who want to come to Watford to put themselves in the shop window and to perform for Watford, but are also committed enough to perhaps turn it round when things aren't going well. And I'm not for one minute suggesting that Gerard Delafoe wasn't committed. I don't, I, that, that would be unfair. But it just got me thinking about that, striking that balance about players who end up at Watford, quite frankly, for a reason, but still have dreams and aims of, of moving on. And, it's, and it just goes to show that because if you don't bring those players in, you know, quite. You know, Watford Sports are used to it now. You know, we've had Pereira, Delafeu, Capu, um, you know, all these sort of guys. Ben Foster, to a lesser degree. You know, they're, they're household names that brought into Watford, and and that's that's part of our um, aim for, for for improvement. But also, the reality is that at the back of their mind, whether they'll admit it or not, and whether as supporters we want to admit it or not, their ultimately their eye is always going to be elsewhere, isn't it? It is, but I don't think you know. I, I, you were almost sort of tiptoeing around it a little bit there, Mike. <laughs> admit it that he wasn't always on it. We right. we know that, and he was sometimes a little bit stroppy, let's say, a little bit sort of moody at times. You know, throwing his arms around, and I think that the thing with him is that it was it was a as his as his injury has been, it was a process for him to to get to the point to really get what it meant to be at Watford and that's what I meant when I said that you know it seemed as if he was then going to get a big move that he'd sort of got it that he needed to knuckle down he needed to show how good he was if he was going to get that next move and Filippo Giraldi said in the in the piece that I did with him that getting Delafeu was such a significant marker that Watford were able to put put down because you know he was playing for Barcelona yes maybe he he wasn't going to be there long term and he, he he wasn't going to be sort of the big star that had come from you know the the youth ranks at, at Barcelona and, and come all the way through and you know he's spoken about it in the past about being compared with Messi and all this sort of stuff it was it was a big sort of burden to shoulder as, as he was growing old and then he went out to Everton and Sevilla and all that sort of stuff but it, it was a big thing for Watford to get him when he was still at the peak of his powers, but then it only really got to the point where he was pulling up trees. 2018-19 obviously had a great season, but then when it got to the dangerous time last season, he was one of the players that everyone was looking to 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 perform well, and he was delivering, wasn't he? And obviously the the Nigel Pearson impact had a had a had a great sort of bump up for his performance in. I think that really helped him. And that's why it was a real shame, because I think, as I said, you know, in the interview that he could have been the one that gave that just that extra spark at a, at a key moment that could have got us that extra point that would have kept us in the in the Premier League. And I think to have sort of been, you know, had that taken away from us is obviously so cruel. But that is, you know, that's football. That's that's what happens. 
it would have been interesting to see how he would have reacted playing in empty stadiums as well. Whether he would have been the one that liked it or not, I don't know. It's it's, it's an interesting one. I, I, I always wonder about a player that is obviously such a flamboyant sort of player that loves the buzz of the crowd and, you know, likes to be egged on by by fans and th- and things like that how he would have reacted but obviously we'll, we'll never get that and it's just you know just doing this this interview it really did sort of bring back so many happy memories of that that Liverpool win and also seeing Vicarage Road packed to the rafters so, and mm. you know absolutely buzzing and bouncing and you just think Bloody hell, what a year it has been. Obviously, it's been a really bad year for a lot of people to a lot of more grave levels, but it has obviously um, you know, been a, a difficult year for, for De La Feu and bittersweet as well because he's had a, a new arrival. So it's there's been lots a lots going on and I, I thought it was it was nice for him to be able to reflect and I, I appreciated his his time to be able to do that with you know, obviously with us here on from the rookery end and then, you know, in the in the interview written down for the athletic as well. Because I had that moment, like you said, you, you know, you talk moments that you had under with, with Glenn Roder when he was a manager. You know, that moment of his, his wonder game in the oh, FA Cup yeah, semi-final. We haven't that yet, have we? Yeah. But the, the, the big thing about that, you know, we, you talk about that, actually the frustration we sometimes felt with him, where, yes, he had some magical moments, that, that run he had against and goal against Huddersfield, just showing that, that magical flair, the first goal he scored against Chelsea at home, just got us all excited about this new player that had just turned up. But, you know, he was on the bench for that semi-final because he wasn't necessarily consistent. <laughs> and starting ahead of him was Andre Gray. Um, but it was interesting. That game almost and that moment of that, whatever you want to call it, that, that flicky, whippy thing he did to score that first goal and then the performance afterwards to get the winner. Don't get technical, John. That's, that's <laughs> technical. For, for some of our listeners might not get yeah, that. Well, but, you know, yeah. I do, you know, I'm, I'm, yeah, whatever. <laughs> uh, the, but the, 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 it's almost like that was the moment where he then started taking things seriously. And it was, I think, really like listening to him and talking, you know, as he did about his current injury, his sort of little setback he's got. You think, ah, oh, you know, we saw such a special player at Watford. Even if we, we stayed up, my, my gut says he would have gone this, this summer to, to a bigger club. And you think, ah, oh, what he might be missing out on if this injury just keeps nagging at him. I know he's playing at the top league and he's played at some big clubs, but he is still particularly young. You know, he still should be peaking in a few years' time. And you imagine what he might be able to do. And you just really hope, as as any player that leaves Watford, is that they can achieve some things a, a little bit bigger. Um, just because we can say, hey, we helped him. Just just on that point, you know, recently I've sort of I've been you know watching games, seeing you know seeing Richarlison doing well, seeing Decore doing well. And rather than feeling any sort of bitterness, I've felt more like, oh, this is how it should be. You know, seeing your players go on to other clubs, bigger clubs, knowing your place in the food chain almost. And I think that maybe this process of, of you know, being relegated and hopefully, fingers crossed, going back up again this season, maybe next season or whatever, just sort of refreshes everyone that you know we aren't the we're not the destination club are we we are a stepping stone and and it should be like that you know seeing you know back in the day I, I'm I'm only doing it because I'm looking in my bloody scrapbook again but you know <laughs> seeing seeing John, seeing John Barnes go on and play for Liverpool that's that's fine yeah. that's good that's how that's how it should be you know and hopefully you're absolutely right John we we see De La Feu, I, I doubt it's going to He's going to remain at, at Udinese for for a long, long time. It it will be a sale that probably the the Pozzo Group 
need to make. And I hope that he can show enough form, yeah, maybe, you know, between now and the end of this season, or maybe it might take him another season just to really get back into it, for him to then realise it and, you know, go and play for whoever he wants to go and play for, whether it's AC Milan or, or a, you know, a, another big team in England, whatever it is. Because, yeah, when he was on, when he was on form, he was fantastic to watch and, and a, lot of, a lot of fun and could do amazing things with the football. You know, flicky, flicky, quicky, 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 yeah. yeah. whippy things. Yeah. <laughs> I think Glenn Roder and Gerard Delafeu, both just talking about both these, these individuals, these characters, both incredible footballing careers. They those serve in different ways to remind us what what Watford is and what we and I think you're just hearing you talk there Adam about you know seeing um, Richarlison and Decore do well and hoping that Delafeu like you say John goes on to something it's I think and, and just looking back at the, the Glen Roder years and even before that you know we were talk, I was talking to my cousin the other day Rich he was saying you know Mark Falco Mo Johnson Colin West they moved on. John Barnes moved on to Liverpool. Luther Blissett went to AC Milan. David James went to Liverpool. Tony Coton went to Manchester City. Kevin Miller went to Crystal Palace. Paul Furlong went to Chelsea, who we spoke about earlier. The reality is Watford is, if you are a an elite level player, and I do mean, you know, top end, Watford is never going to be seen as, as the pinnacle. And that's not a bad thing. That doesn't matter. And just as well, because we're never going to change that. You know, you talk about that's throughout our lifetime. All the best players have moved on. None of them have ended their career at, at Watford. And I think it's it's sort of quite cathartic just to talk it through both Glenn Roder and the, 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 the situation he was in, Gerard Delafeu, the situation he was in. Just a little reminder as to just being a, a, a stepping stone doesn't have to be mean we're settling for second best. It can mean different things at different times. But it probably is always going to be Watford. And I think that's a good thing. We should be comfortable with that as, as supporters. And I think what, what we need to keep an eye on and watch out for is how we mould the situation to, so it serves the club best. But yeah, it's interesting, isn't it, how these different characters from very different eras and very different backgrounds and very different personalities ultimately can can lead you to the same sort of conclusion and, and thoughts and ultimately warm thoughts about the uh, the football club we love. One player uh, you also have looked into recently, Adam, on The Athletic. Remember, if you haven't subscribed, uh, do go. It's, uh, it's three ninety nine a month, about half price uh, for, for your first six months uh, if you go to theathletic.com forward slash rookery end. Uh, and one of the current players who, you know, in many ways, he is looking for his next step in his career and, you know, to make Watford better and therefore to make him better is William Troost Ikong, who is... Well, I don't know, Adam. He seems to be doing above and beyond what I expect a footballer to go out and do independently about analysing his game with the company outside the club to to improve himself. What was the what, what's he what's he get up to between in between games? Just to give you a little bit of background to this, I, I remember being on on Instagram and it was something that um, William Troost Ekong posted about some tactical analysis. There was a there was a guy with a laptop and it was on his Insta story and I thought oh, that's interesting I just sort of I didn't think much didn't think much about it at the time and I thought all right fine they're just doing some you know analysis and then the other day he was he was put up for the the press conference and we all had our own opportunity to to have a chat with him and it's really good he's so open and so honest and so sort of down to earth and very sort of comfortable in his own skin and you know I'd found out about about him prior to him arriving at Watford that he's very much into sort of that extra 1%. He's, you know, he's had his own personal trainer and things like this. 
in the process of doing the interview with him, I asked him about how sort of how does he deal with self-analysis in terms of his performances because obviously it was coming off the back of the the Blackburn game and he hadn't he hadn't done well and his distribution hadn't been particularly good he mentioned in the process of that oh well you know I I spend about an hour after every game you know in between games with my personal video and video analyst I thought ah so that must have been the guy that he posted about on on Instagram I put two and two together and I got in touch with the guy who is the guy in the Instagram story. He's a bloke called uh, Lauren Vreilink, and he works for a company called Tactilize. And they do sort of personal video analysis for a whole host of players. I think there's a roundabout, roundabout sort of 150 players that they've they've worked with. And William Trustikong is one of them, obviously. And it's basically just something that they can do outside of the work that they would normally do within the football club um and some you know some personal video analysis will be done by the by the club already and seemingly it's it's being done with the blessing of the the club as well and it just shows that extra attention to detail almost going well look, i know we're we're doing video analysis as a team you know we'll need to do this they're going to be playing in that shape we need to adapt here we know that you've got a few sort of dangerous players up against you here and there but then sort of going into it and being able to analyze every sort of small detail of your own performance down to the sort of the top line stats on ball possession and um, pass completion and aerial duels and all that sort of stuff. But then being able to sort of look at clips and he's supplied with, you know, up to, you know, 250 clips per game and things like that. And he can sit with his own analyst and go, well, let's just have a look at clip number 19 and, you know, see how you did there. What did you think? And, you know, how do you think you've been playing? And can you work on this? And can you work on that? 250 clips of some of Watford's games earlier on this season. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> yeah. Here's that pass going back along the back line and it's coming back the other way and back awesome. there. And then it's going forward and then it's going out of play. There's a goal kick, yeah. Isn't that the clip we just saw? Yeah, yeah. no, no, it wasn't. No, no, it's different. It's a different pass, William. Look closely, no. Sorry, that didn't come through to my email. You must have sent the wrong link. Don't worry, we sent you... But it just, you know, the thing that I found really interesting is that they... And you can read about all the the details in the piece, but basically now you you can't really be in the same room because of the hygiene bubbles and all this sort of stuff. But the guy that he works with is based out in Holland. Um, because obviously he has he has Dutch roots and all that sort of stuff. They'll both be on their laptops, but they'll also have a FaceTime call or a Zoom call going on at the same time because the the verbal and the non-verbal communication is actually really important. So being able to see, all right, the players he's taking on board, or or yeah, he winced when he saw that, or he he appreciates that he's done something wrong there and also you know within the the process of the interview that i did with with um will just to shorten it he also you know spoke very honestly about the performance against blackburn he said yeah it's, it was probably my worst game and i saw my statistics and my past completion and i dug into it in the in the in the piece and you know some nice graphics in there just showing you exactly um you know that it was it was his his worst performance in in various different metrics and i think that's a really good thing it's a healthy thing it shows that you know he's not driven by ego he's driven by self improvement and wanting to actually face up to you know poor poor performances and try and do better the worst thing is when you you know when you hear when you hear players or you or you hear managers or whatever and they they trot out the same tut week in week out 
and you think, well, is any of this penetrating? Is is that bad performance penetrating? You seem to be selecting that same guy again and again and again. You know, when you hear someone and they're sat in front of you and they go, yeah, no, no, I was shocking um, and I'm going to work on it and I'm going to try and do better. It might not happen in the next game, but it, it's a process and, you know, they are striving to do better. And that's all you can ask for. You know, it's like it's like with your kids. You don't always want them to be, you know, the the fastest in the race. You want them to just do better than last time and incrementally you'll improve that's what chris boardman you know the famous cyclist said he was he wasn't the best cyclist when he was a kid he was right down at the bottom but he gradually got better and better and better and he went on and did pretty well i think so you know it's 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 all part of the it's all part of the process and i I just think you know he's a he's a good egg and he uh, he spoke really well about leadership as well. Just getting a little bit of an insight into what it's been like in the in the change of dynamic, taking you know the big voice of of Troy out of the dressing room. You know, in adversity, they've actually had a, a bit more of um, a diverse collection of voices all all chipping in. Obviously, Troy is still an important voice at the football club and can be in and around it in the dressing room here and there when he's not having his rehab and all that sort of stuff. They found a different way to to skin the cat at the moment. I wanted to pick up on that ad because, as always, there's lots of really interesting detail in in the article. It really is a a, a good read. But that that bit at, towards the end that, that that you alluded to there, he 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 does mention, doesn't he? He mentions the the after the Coventry game, they've they've sort of changed the sort of attitude really when it comes to sharing their views on on each other's performances. And I think that's really really telling. I think the the, the quote is we've really dropped that attitude. And they're able to play more freely now. And you know, we joked a couple of moments ago about finding 250 decent clips from a from a, from a game. Well, well, that Coventry game really was a does seem to have been a light line in the sand. And it's fascinating to hear that firsthand from William Trusty Kong there that that they something has changed and they've sort of the penny dropped around about that time for them as well. And they and they're more open behind the uh, in the dressing room. So that was really interesting to pick up on as well. And just yeah, that overall feel. Because again, you know, we talked about Gerard Delafeu and the, and the difficulty is for us is sometimes we just look at them as uh, not robots, but these footballers. We have them on a pedestal. We expect high performances from them week in and week out. And oh, will they ever learn? We say, you know, that's speak to mum and dad after the game. Why do they do this? They do it again and again and again. And we we sort of fall into that trap, don't we? So so to hear um, to hear about stuff like this, him and others will be doing off their their own bat and and it's yeah and and as you say adam the fact that they, they're doing it off the back of poor performances and just really grasping the metal and and wanting to get get better is is fascinating and 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 really encouraging and uh yeah hopefully he doesn't have too many uh hopefully all of his next batch of 250 clips are all good ones a, a back post header nestling in the back of the net would be good wouldn't it very nice indeed uh, now if uh, that article uh, about William Trusticong and his analysis uh, as well as the interview with Gerard Delafeu uh, is all available uh, via The Athletic and if you're not a subscriber then go to theathletic.com forward slash rookie end and sign up and of course if you are a subscriber uh, then you can take part next Monday night March the 8th uh, for the Watford quiz hosted by Adam Adam is give us a level of trickiness what what were we expecting here it's going to be a a nice blend of a few little open goals and then there'll be a couple of penalties and then there'll be a couple of tricky dips from about 20 yards and then there'll be a couple (laughs) of real 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 belters from the halfway line that are 
going to be really, really tough to nail. So hopefully that's a, that's a footballing analogy that gives people some inkling that I haven't really got a clue what I'm talking about. And that's why I'm hosting the the, uh, the quiz rather than uh, trying to answer the question. So uh, yeah, no, it should be good fun. So yeah, if, if people want to get involved, uh, obviously follow the links and um, it will be uh, it will be good fun. And obviously, you get the chance to go into the final as well. So if you win the the Watford quiz, you then get to take on all the other teams, winners of all these quizzes. And there is a £1,000 up for grabs in the final. So uh, yeah, go for it. And you can represent Watford. You can be like our uh, London five-a-side winner where we went and won the trophy. Uh, in uh, whenever it was 1995, you can be the you can be the Watford hero on the on the main stage. Uh, and of course, it's all to raise money for prostate cancer. So go to theathletic.com, sign up as a subscriber, and then search for the word prostate cancer, uh, and it'll take you to the link and the article uh, where you can sign up to take part. Thank you much for listening to From the Rookery End. Of course, as I've already said, we'll be back on the weekend uh, with a podcast all about Watford's game against Nottingham Forest. So please uh, do subscribe and do tell your friends uh, that you can listen to From the Rookery End uh, via well, anywhere you like, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and anywhere you get a podcast, basically. Thank you very much to Adam for for sharing all his, his pieces and that, that interview with Gerard Delafeu. Thank you to Michael, uh, and thank you to you uh, for spending the time that you do with us in your ears uh, and talking about the lovely club that we all love called Watford Football Club. Thank you very much for listening. I'll be back on the weekend. The Athletic.